Hey, just one announcement. Go to the playground. I guess you guys have noticed out there they've come a long way uh, with preparing the field. And on April 2nd, there's going to be a work day. And so I encourage you, if you can, to come out on that Saturday and, and help as they prepare the ground, getting ready to install that equipment, which is just around the corner. Hopefully this will be done in the spring, and what a blessing it will be uh, to have a playground. So grateful for all those who have been making that happen. And uh, So just keep that in prayer, and, and of course an opportunity for us to invite young families and uh, let them know we care and, and have something there for them and hopefully build some bonds with them and of course with pay groups as well hope you guys have a good experience this week uh none of us know for sure what we're doing until we get out there and do it so uh we're going to enjoy learning together with that we are starting a new series today and we're going to be in the book of daniel daniel chapter one do you remember when god's people were headed into the promised land and they sent these scouts or these spies ahead and there were a dozen of them and uh, two guys said we can do it man we can go in there and we can charge and take the promised land but 10 of the guys said man they look like giants and we feel like little grasshoppers and there is no way that we can do this and so what we're going to talk about in this new series is the giants that are in the land we are called to go in faith and to claim what God's already given us. He's already provided victory. But the giants seem to strangle out our confidence. And today we're going to look at the first of those giants. And we turn to Daniel chapter 1. And it is the giant of conformity. And so we're going to look at the example of Daniel as he is trying to be forced to not follow his convictions, but to fall in line with the people who are in charge. And so anyway, turn me to Daniel chapter 1. We're going to be looking over the whole chapter, but for our reading this morning, we stand in God's honor. I encourage you to do that. Give him honor. I want to start at verse 3, and I'm going to read aloud through verse 7, and then we'll jump right into the message. Then the king ordered... Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Let's pray. God, help us, Lord. We know these three young men, they, they wanted to be faithful, but there's a lot of pressure, Lord. A lot, a lot of pressure to not hold to their convictions, to, to not hold to their heritage, 
to not hold to the faith that they had made public as pure. And God, I pray this morning as we look at this example of going against the flow, of standing tall when there are giants in the land. Um, God, speak to us, Lord. Give us your courage. Give us your strength. Help us, Lord, to be set apart for you. We need courage. We tend to be a weak bunch. So I just ask, O oh God, that you would infuse us with encouragement by courage coming to us by your Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, as you guys, most of you know, I go to bed really early, so I don't stay up late. But one of the popular uh, late-night guys, been doing it for a long time, uh, is a guy named Bill Maher, who uh, happens to be an atheist, and thus he's not a friend of people of faith. And back in 2008, he did a documentary which was basically ridiculing people of faith. And he basically said in the documentary that religion must die in order for mankind to live. And he described people of faith as being domestic terrorists in our culture and in our land. Kind of reminds me of another quote from Karl Marx who had called religion the opiate of the people. In other words, those people, they're drugged by faith so they can't really see what real life is like and they don't really live in the real world. And we live in a time now where People are trying to control the way that we think. And there are some powerful people who want to ridicule the idea of faith and those who have biblical values. Man, they're just not up with it. What's frightening is that this same process has happened before. Many times. If you go back to Soviet Russia, we have the example of, of those who began to share some of these same ideas. And so those who disagreed with them, who were people of faith, who were leaders of churches, and, and those who went to church, many of them ended up in prison. And then when they cried out and said, where are our rights? Where are our freedoms? The result of that would ultimately end in a lot of people losing their lives. Between 1917 and 1935, 130,000 Russian Orthodox priests were arrested and 95,000 of them were executed by firing squads. I saw um, on the news sometime back a lady from a country who came out of a communist country. And she said, we need to wake up. I am seeing the very same trail that I left to come here. These same things happened in my country when I was a little girl. And I see them happening here in the United States of America. 
there are those that say, oh, those who believe in the Bible, they, they need to be silenced. They do not need to have a voice. They need to be fact-checked, or, or their platform needs to be taken away from them because they're religious. But let me tell you, to follow religion just simply means that you believe wholeheartedly and go after a certain set of beliefs. So don't tell me that some of the people that want to take away the platform of Bible-believing Christians and other people of faith aren't religious. They've shut down our oil and our gas because they're so religious that they say our world is going to end. Some politicians say within 11 years. You tell me that's not religious? You have other people who get angry when people talk about trying to protect the unborn, the child that is in the womb, that rights are be ta being taken away. Others who become angry when certain words of speech are used that do not fall in line with the narrative. You understand that there are those who say that those who teach the Bible are child abusers? This, this is what we've come to in some sections. And some people who have the power, who have the microphone, who have the authority. And this is exactly what happened in the Soviet communist bloc. And it's happening. It's happening among us. So, how did it occur? Well, the first thing that happened in the Soviet bloc, they took certain words and began to redefine what those words meant. Who would dare speak against equality? And yet the very term equality has been redefined. Or who would speak against science? And yet the definition of science, which I grew up with, has been changed. There are definitions that have been changed. They have a different meaning than what they used to mean. For example, when I was young, I, I, I knew a girl, um, her seaborn uh, family. Her name was Gay. When I was a kid, gay meant happy. Still does, I heard out there. Uh, unfortunately, though, in our culture, when many people hear the word gay, it has a different definition. It has a different meaning other than just merely happy. Many of our definitions have been hijacked, and they have been transformed. They've been redefined. Secondly, they stigmatize their opponents. People who don't follow the narrative, people who don't fall in line, people who refuse to change the definitions, they're labeled. Uh, you're Islamophobic, or you're sexist, or you're xenophobic. And of course, phobia, you're afraid of. You're afraid of this, and you're afraid of that if you refuse to follow the narrative and the change of thinking that takes place. Oh, we live in a land where 
even our idea of our country and its beginning and its founding and the idea that we are one people that form a republic, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty, justice, right? Um, there are those who want to say the founding of our country is not 1776, but it's 1619, which is the date that the first slave entered our land. And so now instead of being one people with equal opportunities to pursue life and liberty, happiness, pursuit of happiness, now we're divided up into different groups. Some are oppressors and some are oppressed. And so now this is a new narrative that is, is trying to be pushed. And if you don't follow that narrative, then you're belittled. Then you're told you don't have a voice. And look, this is happening. It, it's happening across our land. It's, it's happening in, in many places where there's great influence. And we see in the scriptures that there are places where we are required to make a stand. I think of Romans 12, 1 and 2, which, of course, many of us know. And Of course, the first verse talks about we're to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And you know the old saying, problem with living sacrifice, it's always trying to crawl off the altar. It's always trying to find a way to scoot off the altar because it's hard to really be a sacrifice. But then the next verse tells us to not be conformed to the pattern of this world. And I love the Phillips translation. It says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. But it says, instead, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. There's Apostle Paul, and he was talking to the church at Rome, and still talking to us. We're still to not let this world system squeeze you into its mold. But instead, we are to be set apart for God, to be living sacrifices, to be his servants. As we come to our scripture here, we find some young guys that have been taken out of their country. Um, they've been removed from their home. They've been put in a place that's totally different, and um, they're trying to change their way of thinking. They're trying to recondition these young men. And, th and that's the scripture that we read this morning. So you have this powerful country, and, and here are these young guys, and it says that they, they're the, the top young men of the country. You know, they, from the royal family, these are guys that are smart. These are guys that are gifted. They want to take the best of other lands, and they want to train them to be Babylonians and take away their past. And, and change their thinking. So how do they do it? Well, if you look up here, you see the plan. And isn't it interesting that what was done so many years ago, it just keeps repeating. It makes me think of where it talks about in 2 Corinthians that we have to be careful about the devil's schemes. He has schemes. This is a scheme, and it's happening before our eyes, even here. So anyway, as we look in Daniel, I want you to see this process. First thing they did was they isolated these young men. 
They took them away where there was the godly influence of the Lord God of Israel. So they, they, they could not go and, and talk to their mentors or the people in their lives that they could trust with the message of God. And instead, they were thrust into a totally different place where they learned about different gods. And, and they learned about different truths. And they had no way of reconnecting with what they held precious. Second thing they did was they indoctrinated them. As you look in our text, it tells us that and they were brought to serve in the king's palace and taught the language and literature of the Babylonians. We're going to take away your Jewish worldview and we're going to give you our worldview, the worldview of the Babylonians in our beliefs. Um, they were big into studying the stars and the planets uh, in order to foretell the future. Kind of reminds me today of some of the modern astrology, you know, that's popular around us. You know, you can tell your, you know, uh, your horoscope for the day you know but like you know I'm, I'm Aquarius my mom was into some of this kind of stuff uh, you know so some of those same truths obviously they still prevail today but they were taking them and they were teaching them in these new ways and the third thing that they did not only did they indoctrinate them they intimidated them they were in a place it was like wow look at this place they were given uh Fancy foods. They were, you know, in, in this place that appeared so powerful. This is what one um, commentator said. The food that was offered in the Babylonian court was first offered to Babylonian gods and then brought to the king's table. So all of that would be used to intimidate these young Jewish minds and they would start thinking thoughts like, well, why should I believe in my God? First of all, I've never ate like this in Jerusalem. <laughs> Second, my God couldn't protect me from all this. And then he goes on to talk about how intimidating it was. He says, The walls of the city of Babylon were 80 feet thick, 320 feet tall, 56 miles long. If you walk through the center, the opening to the town called the Ishtar Gate, you're on a street that's 65 feet wide made of limestone flanked by red-tiled sidewalks ornately decorated. The river Euphrates runs through the center of town parallel to that street. You would see the most magnificent palace in the world and one of the seven wonders of the world called the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Any Jewish teenager would drop their jaw. Wow, look at this. And so they were intimidated. How can a little place I came from match up to this? Maybe I need to rethink where I want to be, who I want to be. So the fourth thing they did, they changed their names. They redesignated who they were, their identity. You had Daniel, whose name means God is my judge, and his name was changed to Belshazzar made Baal protect the king, another one of their deities. That's what his name was changed to. Another one of the guys, Hananiah, his name meant beloved of the Lord. 
and they changed his name to Shadrach, which means illuminated by Aku, who was the moon god. Mishael means who is like God, and they changed his name, who is like Aku, the moon god. And then you had Azariah, whose name means the Lord is my help. And they changed his name to Abednego, which means servant of Naboo, another deity, another pagan deity to be worshipped. So he said, this is no longer who you are. This is now who you are. You need to forget the past, and you need to follow this new way of life. This was the insidious plot that was used to change these young men in their way of thinking and to capture them away from a life that followed the Lord God of Israel into a new life, more progressive, more modern, more upcoming, more victorious, more sure to be on the winning side and all the rest of the propaganda. But I love verse 8. Look how verse 8 starts out, guys. But Daniel. There's always some guy that causes trouble. And here he is, this young whippersnapper named Daniel. But Daniel, all of this that has happened, he's been isolated. He's been indoctrinated. He's been intimidated. But Daniel still resolved himself. I'm not going to be like everybody else. I intend to follow the God of my fathers. I intend to walk in obedience to my God. So we have this young guy here who's resolved to follow his inward convictions. It's a choice that he he made deep inside, a, a determination that although everyone else around me is different, that's not who I am. And that is not who I intend to be. You see, in order to withstand the pressure of the outside world that is pushing to shape us into that mold, there has to be an inward conviction. There has to be a determination. There has to be a purpose in the heart, a choice that has to be made to follow God and not simply follow what's around us but to follow the one who is within us and to live according to that conviction. W.A. Criswell, pastor of the past, had this in his commentary. All of life is filled with crisis and decisions. There are right decisions, wrong decisions, high roads, low roads, and almost every day there will be a fork in the road. Where you are today is due to the turn in the road you took yesterday. You are the product of your choices. You are where you are because of the choices you have made. And here's the deal. To be faithful, your choices become convictions. They become more than a one-time decision. They become the pattern of your life. This is not just what I did today. This is what I will do tomorrow. Now, let's go on in our text here. And I want you to see here what they proclaimed to be delicacies. Daniel defined as defilement. What a difference in the way of thinking. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself 
this way. Now, you know, people are thinking, eh, what's the big deal, you know? A little fancy food. Man, to be able to live it up. You, you know, you've been poor kids, and maybe you didn't have the opportunities that are available to you now. Why are you guys such sticks in the mud? But what Daniel knew was that all of these delicacies, they had been offered to pagan gods. There was a different purpose. There was a different focus. There was a different intention, a different way of life to be followed. And Daniel said, no, that is not the purpose of my life. That is not how I intend to live. That is not my heart. Those are not my convictions. You see, he was able to stay away from making excuses and just doing these things because he had a purpose in his heart. He had a firm sense of conviction of who he was. And we would say now as believers in Jesus Christ, do you have a conviction that you are really a follower of Jesus Christ? As he says, you must take up your cross. You must follow him daily. Purpose of heart. Purpose of heart. Um, which brings up a topic. Uh, oh, what delicacies defile you? We all are prone to some delicacy. Something that's like, ooh, I could just get a little more of that. That would be so much fun. That would be so good. But do you understand that delicacy will soon become a defilement? And it will pull you away from really knowing what you need in life. You see, the idea of a conviction, it gives you the courage to say no, so you can say yes. Once you step into the defilement, there are opportunities that are taken away and blessings that are removed that God meant you to enjoy and to have but that opportunity is no longer available because what you thought was a delicacy ended up in a defilement and there was a precious blessing that was removed. When you close the door to defilement, you open the door to development. When you close the door to defilement, you open the door to development. And this is all a belief system, the transforming of your minds, being transformed by God's truth, his way of thinking that goes in opposition to the world and becomes a conviction. Remember Moses when he caught the slave master being cruel to the other Hebrew, to Hebrew slaves? And so if you remember in the text, it says he looked over here, looked over here, and then he killed the guy out of anger. What happened? He looked around. He made sure he was alone, but he forgot to look one place. Exactly. He forgot to look up. God was watching him. At that point, he had, he had not developed that, that, that full conviction, that, that full conviction of, of the truth and, and, and what was right in, in that area and what looked like a delicacy, what looked like justice, what looked like righting a wrong was the opposite. It was a defilement that happened to him instead in that, in that place. Um, now, going on in our text, 
he tells us. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of the Lord, my king. Um, as he came, he asked for permission. He didn't, he didn't just say, you guys are a rascal. I'm going to call on my God to zap you with lightning or pick you out right now because you're just cruel and mean and evil and all that kind of stuff. He didn't get combative. I think it's very interesting here. He had a plan here in how he handled this. Instead of being argumentative and confrontational, I want you to notice how he approached him. He says that God had actually given favor to uh, Daniel through to an official, and he was able to talk to him and to share his heart openly. And the official pretty much said, look, this guy's a bad guy. He's like, well, take me out. And so... You know, I have to give you this food, and, and we have to follow this way because that is the plan that's supposed to be in place. And if I stand up against him, I'm going to be the one that's in trouble. I'm going to be the one that pays that ultimate price and that suffers. He isn't just reactive. Daniel is proactive as he requests the alternative. Notice in verse 12, it says he asked. Daniel asked. It says, please test your servants for 10 days instead of these luscious foods that they're eating. He says, I have another way. Please, I want to do the vegetables and the water instead. And, and so this plan, God would use. It's so much better when we can be kind and we can find alternative ways rather than just trying to come in angry and loaded to the gills in order to force our way through. I love Proverbs 16, 7. It says, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. And that's a case of what happened here. Uh, ben Franklin was right when he said you need to be winsome if you want to win some. And that's what occurred here. Um, I want to make a point here in, in saying uh, he was facing a culture. He was facing a different way of thinking. He was facing a group of people, and the vast majority of those people, they weren't going to change. In this situation, Daniel's goal was not to change these crazy Babylonians and their way of thinking so they would think properly and rightly. You know what his main goal was? Not letting Babylon change him. You know, as much as I love our land, and as much as it scares me to see the rapid changes that are occurring here, my ultimate hope is not in the United States of America. I don't know what days are ahead, but my hope is not going to be, well, let me tell you back, when I was a kid, how things used to be because I don't know if those times will ever return. But I do know who is going to return. Right? And, and so 
that is where our confidence and our hope has to be. Instead of being like this world, we're from another world. We're all a bunch of aliens. <laughs> bunch, of, bunch, of, bunch of weirdos in this place, right? Because our citizenship, as it says in Philippians 3.20, is not here. And we're awaiting the return of the Savior, Jesus Christ, who's going to do these glorious things in our lives as he changes us, as he works within us. And we need to do that in a way that draws people to Christ, not just to get even with them, not just to tell them, you're a nut. I tend to be good at that sometimes, it doesn't help me. But instead, we need to find a way to tell them about God and to live out our convictions. And you know what? In the days ahead, we may be rewarded by being put in a jail cell. It's happening all over the world right now. Matter of fact, you go up to Canada, it's happening just next door in Canada. There's some people with Christian beliefs end up in a jail cell. May God give me courage, and may he give you courage too. And maybe the greatest thing said about us in a few years might be shared a cell together. Because we were purposed in our heart be different and to follow God and to stay with our convictions uh, just quickly as you go down through here in the scriptures we learn uh, in verses 17 through 20 it tells us about these guys you know after they changed their diet they were different in their appearance then it tells us that um, they were also different in their prominence. It says that God gave them wisdom and understanding in, in the verse 20, and the king questioned them. And, and then he gave them influence. It's interesting, as you look down through here, uh, verse 21, it says, And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And as you go through the history, you're talking about you know a 70-year captivity. In chapters 2, 3, and 4 of Daniel, he had great influence on the leader Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 5, he had great influence on the next leader, Belshazzar. And then, all the way to Cyrus, who would become the Medo-Persian Empire leader. He'd have great influence there. And the truth is, guys, he would have great influence many years later. Because you remember when these guys called Magi came? And they said, we've been looking in the stars and we have followed a star. They were called the wise men. And guess where they came from? Their heritage was all the way back to Babylon. And here's a question I have for you. Where did they hear about a baby being born? Who was going to come for our sins? I think it was that old fella named Daniel. Who had stayed there for years and years and years and was faithful in the face of adversity into a world culture that was trying to say, no, you're a nut, you're wrong. And he just kept living for God. And he just kept being bold in his faith. And people kept saying, I want to be like him. And that influence just continued over the years. That's what God wants to do with us when we're willing to follow him and not be squeezed into that mold when we're willing to go against the flow whatever that flow may be um, 
And guys, we know that we're in a world changing rapidly. We know all the news that's gone on um, in our schools and uh, some of the ideas uh, where parents don't have a say in some places. And um, it's, it's just a lot of frightening things. But parents have had to be courageous. And different people have had to exert great courage. And that is hard to do in the face of those who seem to be powerful. you got to go against the flow. Someone has said any dead fish can float downstream. But it's hard to swim upstream. And that's our call. Uh, let me close with this. Uh, this is from a missionary to Zimbabwe who was martyred for his faith. He served there in the 1920s and 30s. Here's what they found uh, in his diary. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. And I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road may be narrow. My way rough. My companions few. But my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I will not be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy or ponder at the pull of unpopularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up till I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. And he was martyred. I can't think of a better way to go out <laughs> than like that. Not squeezed into the world's mold, but saying, I'm going to stay up until I go up. What about you? Let's pray. God, uh, thank you, Lord, for sending your son to die on our behalf and to come, Lord. And Father, and for sending an advocate, a helper of the Holy Spirit, um, our seal guaranteeing the ownership of you upon us, Lord. Uh, Father, give us your strength. Give us your courage that we may not conform to this world, but that we may be yours in that simple. And God, I pray that you will give us influence, give us favor, Lord, not for ourselves, but that the good news of Christ may go forth, Lord. Uh, the people might see you in little old weak people like us. And Lord, that you may get glory. Um, Father, so uh, if we think about what that means for us, uh, bring us to your altar, whether it's physically to come up here and kneel or whether it's to bow our lives and our minds as living sacrifices right now where we are.
Either way, Lord, quite honestly, it's you or it's not. And so, Lord, may we choose you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.